airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh oh. Uh oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thanks for tuning in uh, for another installment of The Addisons, listening to us talk about the issues of the day, uh, interview thought-provoking guests, and hopefully, whenever appropriate, um, apply just a little bit of humor Mm -hmm. to the different situations, because sometimes you really need that. I mean, right? That's just a little bit of part of it. Uh, But we we appreciate you listening and joining us every day. Um, I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B is over in Studio CC. You know, we've been having some weather issues, so I think we may have a slight delay. Maybe we can work on that during the break. We'll see what we can do. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the meantime, we will get to some of the topics of discussion for today. One of the things that um, I read that I wanted to talk about and then kind of tie that into mentioning the conference, and, and you'll see why this is important, is an article that I read written by a member of Generation Z. Mm. I don't know if you say a member of Generation Z or a part, someone who is is Generation Z, right? Um, A part part of Generation Z. And it's just really interesting to look at where our country is and how you have Generation Z now being about, what, 25% 25 of Mm. the American population Mm -hmm. and thinking about how this generation is going to and is already influencing our country. And one of the things that stood out to me in reading, because it's like reading a firsthand account. You know, if you you take a step back and you say, what is the youngest generation um, that that is active and that is being tracked? You know, what is it that they think about spiritual things? What is it that they think about the church? What is it they think about Christianity? Mm -hmm. And then to have sort of an insider view is very interesting. And so this article that I read was written by a student who her name is Tessa Landrum. And of course, we'll put a link in the in the show notes so that you can read the article in its entirety. Of course, I'm going to share quite a bit because I found it very insightful. But um, this young woman's name is Tessa Landrum, and she's a senior at Cedarville University. And uh, she's studying communications and worship. And she lives in Ashland, Kentucky. And um, I, I I thought that her observations about her age group were insightful and I thought instructive for us um, because we talk all the time about this great falling away. Yeah. Um, we talk all the time about, you know, where this next generation is. And, and I, I make the joke that these are the kids that are sitting around your table. Mm. They're eating in your home mm-hmm. and you're you're raising them. And then they eventually become your enemies. Right. Um, our brother, Carl, who was listening yesterday, was I mean, he was spot on. I mean, Mm -hmm. basically what we have is, you know, we have parents who are footing the bill for our kids essentially to be indoctrinated away from us. Right. right. Um, The majority of their their instructional time is away from us. And so what the world is presenting to them then becomes a conflict um, to what we are presenting to them. Right. It's I mean, I think it's fair to say in direct opposition to what we are training our kids to know about truth and about God and, you know, 
the world is presenting something totally opposite, even mm-hmm. even antithetical, if you will. So anyway, this is how she starts this article, and I'll share it. We can have a little bit of a conversation around it. But her name is Tessa Landrum, and again, she's a senior in college. And and this is what she says. The oldest members of Generation Z are entering their 20s and stepping into either the workforce or the world of higher education. And they will change the landscape of our society with their ideas and values, many of which omit the idea of Christian faith and the prospect of church membership. Now, we already know this is true. We already can look and see that, okay, there is a great divide. And it's not just a generational divide, like the way we like to wear our pants or right. the way, you know, the, the way we like to, to talk or whatever. Right, it's right. not just that kind of divide. There is a spiritual divide that when I look at it, I feel like is the largest gap between generations that we've witnessed. Yeah. And it's not just, again, it's not just, oh, you guys don't understand or your values are a little bit antiquated. No, it is it is the type of divide that would almost make you think that um, there's no common point of reference. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Like, right. at least if you had generations prior, you would see them veering away from a common point of reference. Like, at least you could bring them back to something and say, okay, here is the starting point. You have clearly moved away from this. That's not the case with Generation Z. What it appears with Generation Z is that what they have said or what they are saying mm-hmm. is that we don't have a common starting point. And, and this is represented in the fact that they would say there is no absolute truth. So my feelings are my highest authority. What yeah. I feel to be true. Now, that is completely foreign to us. Yeah. Because even if you have different generations that rebel, mm-hmm. they would go back to something that is absolute and say, I reject that. Yeah. Right? It yeah. is something that you can qualify something that you can put your hands around and, this and new generation says i was gonna say and you gotta go back to ask ask the question how did that happen that uh, that abruptly and i would have to say it's been the, the uh indoctrination through the media through uh the school system and and all of that that's played yes. a part into making that break Happen. I mean, even even Barna said that this is the first truly post-Christian generation with only four oh. percent adhering to the biblical worldview. Four percent. And that, I 4%. mean, four percent. And so you got to step back as the people of God and say, man, what's going on in my home today? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and what can we do to begin to turn this thing in a different direction? Because at, at this rate, man, you're right. The the, pe- the the ones that are being uh, raised in your home will be your enemy one day. And and mm-hmm. it's funny because I saw Bernie Sanders had a um, he had a uh, press conference or whatever today because he did terrible in the last, I guess, primaries. <laughs> and so, yeah, people were thinking like, OK, he's going to bow out. He's going to I mean, you know, he can't win. There's no pass for him where there's still it. There still is. But what one thing that he said was he said, whoever's going to. If, if Joe, he said, if Joe Biden is going to win, he has to win the, um, the the vote of the young people. He he mentioned that, and he was mentioning mm-hmm. that in the sense that I have that. That's something that I have, mm, and he's he's and not he knows that, yeah. and he's not bowing out. But the thing is, the the young people they are going toward the path of a Bernie Sanders, you know, socialism, communism, whatever you want to uh, call it. And I think for the people of God, we got to understand that. These same ideals and these same uh, uh, different uh, things are, are going on 
through the indoctrination through the school system and through the media. And that that infiltrates our homes. That's exactly right. The values that or the lack of values that are present in this generation that we identify as Generation Z, by the way, this would be kids born between 19 and depending on what kind of statistics you look at, you know, tracking these numbers. um, Generally, this would be kids born between 1995 and 2015. Yeah. So between 1995 and 2015. But when you look at these people and what they value or what they don't value, um, it is clearly a reflection of what has been fed to them the most. Right. Exactly. exactly. What has been fed to them the most. And exactly. I think this is what Carl was hitting on yesterday when when he called in. He says, yeah. you know, basically we have to get to this place where we start to face reality, mm-hmm. where we say it's not enough for us to do, and and I say this, you know, sort of tongue in cheek, but it's not enough for us to do juice and crackers twice a week, right? And right. expect that to be enough to help our kids stand against the onslaught of the culture when you've got our kids who are being indoctrinated eight hours a day, five days a week, yeah. and they are being told the opposite of what exactly. we tell them on Sunday or say maybe Wednesday, whatever else, exactly. you know. And the, and the thing is, not only that. But then we 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 may try to hand it over to like if we if we're going to church to our youth departments and right. our children's church to do that that job. So that means that during the week the time is being uh, had by the school system, and then during the the weekend we give it over to maybe youth leaders and stuff like that. So when when are the parents like actually doing on, discipleship type work in the home? You don't have much time left, and you so really don't. when you have all of that going on. Man, I mean, it makes sense that, you know, the landscape looks like it looks, you know. So listen to what this uh, this generation in December of last year. And she writes about this conglomeration of young people. And again, born between 1995 and 2015. And she talks about the defining characteristics of these people. She says that they are uh, ethnically diverse Mm. in the the most ethnically diverse generation (laughs) in American history. They're individualistic, lonely. They're social justice oriented. They're raised on technology and their lives are often built around the online world. And Mm. I'll wrap up with this and then we'll make a shift to the conference she says they are activists and volunteers who want to make an impact on the world they were raised during the great recession and Mm. value financial stability and then listen to this she says they are sexually fluid Mm. and they account for 25.9 percent of the american population wow and when you look at this look at all of these sort of defining characteristics of these young folks and then we won't be able to get into it today maybe we can touch on some more of this tomorrow But she actually goes in and she goes on to talk about some of the objections that come from Generation Z, the things that they don't believe, the things that they just cannot accept. We have answers to their objections. Mm -hmm. We have responses to some of their questions and concerns. As it is, though, we're intimidated and often refusing to answer those questions because, you know, we think maybe we're going to fail. Well, I'm going to say this and let's talk about the conference after this. Not answering the questions is guaranteed failure. Yeah. No, you're right. right. You're right. (laughs) All right. right. So anyway, um, part of our response to this and to the other problems that we see um, affecting the body of Christ is the Marriage, Family and Life Conference. And that's why we have expanded the children's track to include a youth track for ages 13 to 17 to deal with sort of the siphoning off of our children. We Mm -hmm. see the culture robbing us of the next generation of the church, and we don't want to allow that. Um, We know 
that there are answers to some of their objections. Yeah. We know that there are answers to some of the questions that they have, many of them declaring themselves to be agnostic, many of them declaring themselves to be atheists, which really, you know, at best they would say, if they're honest, at best they would say, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. they cannot <laughs> definitively declare that there is no God. Many of them are not bold enough to do that. And so that's one of the ways that we want to equip our children to stand in their yeah. generation. So let's talk about some more of the details of the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference, Will the Great. Yeah, um, the Marriage, Family, Life Conference is happening June 25th through the 27th here in Tupelo, Mississippi. If You can get all the information that you need on it at marriagefamilylife.net, marriagefamilylife.net. And basically, we're going we're having this, this conference. This will be our third time having it. And it's in defense of the faith. You know, that's right. Uh, we, we, we know that there's a lot that's going on. You know, there's a lot of issues. And so we have people that are going to come in uh, and that we're going to talk about it. We're going to have, mm-hmm. you know, a couple discussions, panel discussions. But we have some speakers, some great speakers as well. Dr. Frank Turek. Uh, Dr. Dr. Michael Alex Brown, McFarlane. Yeah. Dr. Alex McFarland. And matter of fact, Dr. Uh, McFarland will be uh, speaking as well to speaking to the um, the youth track. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to be pouring into our young people uh, uh, during that that portion. So, man, it's just going to be a great time. Great speakers. And we, we really want to equip not only just the adults, but the whole family to be able to stand uh, in, in, in our day. Because uh, like we're saying right here with the children, they have to, we can't just put them over and say, let's separate them and let them just go play games. And that's it. We have right. to give them things that they can take with them as well. And uh, a biblical worldview. So that's what we're endeavoring to do. And one of the questions that uh, Dr. McFarland is going to answer for our youth apologetics track is how may we know that the word of God is true? Mm-hmm. This is one of the questions that Generation Z has. In fact, this uh, young woman who wrote this article that we started off talking about, She quotes uh, a man, James White, who wrote a book, Meet Generation Z. And in this book, he notes that one of the most defining marks of the members of Generation Z in terms of their spiritual lives is their spiritual illiteracy. In other words, they don't know what the Bible says. They don't know the basics of Christian belief or theology. They don't know what the cross is all about, Mm. and they don't know what it means to worship. Guys, we don't have to just accept that. Right. We don't have to just accept that. We don't have to just sit back and say, well, there goes another generation. We can stand between them and death. Mm. We can stand between them and the onslaught of the culture. It just takes an ounce of care, just a little bit of care with this gospel that we have been entrusted with. All right. MarriageFamilyLife.net. MarriageFamilyLife.net. We're going to grab the break and we'll be right back. back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We appreciate you carving out this time each day to spend with us if you listen via the podcast. We appreciate that. Always know that we'll put links to any of the stories that we discuss. And uh, whenever we interview an author, we try to take 
um, the opportunity to also bless you with a copy of the book. The same will be true today. We are going to talk to Glenn Schroeder, who is the author of Never Trust a Leader Without a Limp. Mm. Never Trust a Leader Without a Limp. Uh, I think I know. I think I know where that title comes from. I feel like I know. But of course, we're going to have to find out. Yes. Right? We're going to have to make sure that we understand uh, the book, The Wit and Wisdom of John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Church Movement. And so we're going to talk about that. But let me first make formal introduction. And then we'll remind me as we get to the end of the show to make sure that we give away a copy of this book, because I okay. think that someone listening, um, I'm convinced that someone's going to enjoy getting this as as one of those uh, nice blessings. All right. Glenn Schroeder has been part of the Vineyard Movement since 1976 when he started attending a little home group in Yorba Linda, California, that eventually became the Anaheim Vineyard. Uh, he and his wife, Donna, had the opportunity to travel and minister with John Wimber. Glenn served on staff with him for 13 years. He's currently the regional coordinator for Vineyard Missions USA in Mexico and Central America and pastors Cascade Vineyard Church in Portland, Oregon. He and Donna have four adult children and five grandchildren, all of whom live in the Portland area. That must be nice. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me on today. So, you know, this is sort of like for so many people listening, I was just thinking as I was thumbing through the book, um, for so many of us, this is sort of like a walk down memory lane because there's almost like this point in our mind, um, I'm 41. And so I think if people are in my age group, it's sort of like we've just always known about Vineyard Church. Like we've yeah. always heard about it. It's it's just sort of a part of like our Christian experience. And so to be able to um, hear from someone who was there at the beginning um, is just extraordinary. So thank you so much for writing this book and, and carving out this time. It was a, a, a walk down memory lane for me, too. I, <laughs> I, uh, what inspired me was that I, I talked to some young people who, uh, after, after the fact, their leaders came to me and said, hey, the kids were so excited today. It was fun for them to hear from somebody that actually knew John. Mm. And I realized that we were a generation or two removed from people that... I uh, had met John or ever had a chance to hear from him in person. So I spent some time writing down all of those little catchphrases that he had that I could remember. <laughs> and uh, Never Trust a Leader Without a Limp is one of them. Mm. And they became the chapters in this book. Wow. That wow. is fantastic. <laughs> Why don't you do this then, Glenn? Why don't you kind of tell our listeners about John Wimber and about the founding of Vineyard, the movement, and about what God did through a small group of people that now just seems to be almost legendary. Sure. Well, well, back in the mid-70s, John uh, was working at that time for Fuller Seminary as a, as a church growth consultant. So he was busy, busy traveling around the country. And, you know, what he saw was at times a little discouraging to him in that uh, a lot of churches that he met with were struggling or, or not, you know, really, really growing and, and reaching the people that they wanted to reach. And in the meantime, uh, back at home, his wife and a group of, of elders and friends in their church kind of felt like there must be more uh, in a relationship with God than they were experiencing. So they began to get together and really just worship and call out to God. And that's really one of those things that probably many of your listeners are, are familiar with, is that Vineyard began as as a movement of worship, where we really just mm -hmm. called out to God. And that was a small home group. Uh, John came home and uh, visited the group, and it was just really a, a matter of time until the Lord really put it on His heart uh, to start a church that maybe would, would have a little different perspective 
than some of what he was seeing in his travels. And that's really kind of how the vineyard began. With, with it, it wasn't didn't start out to be a movement. It started out just to be a group of people seeking God that became a church that eventually became many churches around the country and, and ultimately around the world. Wow. So it was fascinating to me. I was reading in the introduction um, that John was a part of a music group. So, so music was a huge part of his life. He was a part of a music group that was it just before he was converted, just before he came to faith in Christ, that he was going to open on tour for the Beatles. Is that right? That is correct. So, <laughs> so John, John was a musician by trade and uh, he got involved with a group called the Paramours that later became the Righteous Brothers. And some people mm. that are wow. closer to my age will be familiar with the Righteous Brothers. And wow. so in 1964, when the Beatles toured the United States, uh, they chose the Righteous Brothers to be their opening act. And <laughs> wow. so they were, they were getting set to go on tour, and it was right at that time uh, that John met the Lord, became a Christian, and he actually left the band and opted out of that tour and began to pursue uh, really just studying and learning more and growing uh, in, in Scripture and in his faith, which eventually led him to a staff position at the church he was at, and that eventually led him to his role with Fuller. So yeah, he, he was a professional musician. And again, if you know the Vineyard, you know that worship and music has always been a big yeah. part of, of who we are as a movement. Wow. So how did, what to what do you attribute the way that Vineyard Music really began to to change worship music in the Christian setting? Like when you look back on that and, and even where we are now, do you see any like pivotal moments or what changed about worship music that you could kind of put your, your finger on? Sure. T- today, what we call contemporary music is is popular, I think, there are many different streams and churches and groups releasing contemporary worship music. But back then, you know, most of the churches in the country were still singing some of the traditional hymns that had been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what what John did and what the, the early sort of pioneers in Vineyard Worship did was to take uh, a contemporary style of music and then put uh, worshipful lyrics to that, so it changed in style, but one of the things that was key to, to vineyard worship was that our songs were not written about God, but they were written directly to God. And mm. so they, they were really direct expressions of adoration, praise, and worship that we were offering up uh, in a contemporary style. And I think that really was revolutionary and really led to what you see today is the contemporary Christian worship you know, that's so prevalent all over the world. That's powerful. I'm just in my mind is just racing, just thinking about, yeah, that that makes sense. And and you don't you don't actually feel that shift happening when you're in it. Like you don't actually recognize that to be different. Even when we sing, I would say you think of some of the older hymns, you don't think about the difference in the shift in, in you know, pouring out your heart to God or lamenting or um, these expressions of love to God versus about God and his nature. And, and not saying that one is right or wrong, but there was a definite shift. Uh, what's your take on worship music today? Like, how do you, and I, I mean, this may or may not be on topic. I'm just curious though, <laughs> being a part of Vineyard. Sure. Um, no, sure. What, yeah. Uh, you, you know, it's exciting. So, so we, we have a, a, a little phrase we use in the Vineyard sometimes, doxology as theology. And so what that means is our, our worship is really a reflection of those things that we believe about God. 
And what I see happening today uh, in other streams, whether it's, it's Hosanna, Integrity, Bethel, is that same dynamic, that the worship is a reflection of not only their beliefs about God, but what God's doing in their midst today. And so it's exciting. I like listening to, to different streams of, of worship just to hear what God's saying and doing in the midst of those streams today. And, and that's why I, I, I love the, the crossover. Like in my church, it's a vineyard church, we don't sing all vineyard songs. We sing a lot of Bethel songs. We sing some, some uh, integrity songs. It, it's just a reflection of what God's doing in the world today. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I'll, I'll move on and we'll talk about the title of the book. But let me just add just a little of my own personal commentary on Absolutely. this topic. You know, one of the things that remain important to me is that our express expressions to God and about what God's doing is that they remain theologically sound because God has revealed to us who he is. And so I'm always comforted and I'm encouraged when we are able to sing the truth about who God is and not just what we have manufactured, you know? And so that's Amen. one of my great concerns. And it's one of the things that I appreciate about vineyard music. And, and I guess even now it's, it may be kind of strange to you, but it's, you know, it'd be like classic music where we knew that, and know that the theology is sound and that what we are singing back to God is consistent with what God has revealed to us about himself. And I just think that those two, two elements are very important. Yeah. You know, it is for us as well. We have actually, there's a, there's a team of, of pastors and leaders in our movement who review the lyrics of every song before it's wow. released hmm. to that's make great. sure that it's theologically sound. We want, we want, we want, that's so important. To, we want to make sure that songs aren't released that don't have that dynamic in them. That's right. That's right. Well, good. Yeah. So then let's let's talk about the title of the book. Um, the book is riddled with Wimberisms, as you call them, and even the title appears to be so. And then kind of let's trans... You know, leadership is often thought about today in the church. So where does the title come from? Never trust a leader without a limp. Yeah, uh, again, that was a little statement that John made. So it came from him. And really, what he meant by that was that, and I think we know this, and anybody who's been in Christian ministry for any length of time knows this, that uh, it's hard, and and there's some pitfalls, and there are some things that happen to us along the way, and and really we have the opportunity to allow those to make us better leaders or to really take us out of the game. And so, so, so John's statement was really a statement of, hey, this a seasoned leader, uh, somebody who's who's been around the block a couple times, is somebody who's been through some rough times themselves, mm-hmm. and has the ability then to minister and share with those people who may be going through that now. And so, really, it's just a, it's a statement of authenticity and honesty, uh, not pretension or or the idea that hey, as a pastor or as a Christian leader, I've got it all together. But no. I've had my own struggles, my own difficult times, my own hardship, and I want to be able to help you process those things in your life today. Amen. Did you experience that in being mentored by John? Did you experience being able to be honest and real and and to be encouraged and to be discipled and trained, you know, not for who you were pretending to be, but for who you actually were? Is that something that stands out in your recollection about being discipled by John? Yeah, very much so. I, I think the the uh, environment uh, at at the Vineyard in Anaheim under John's leadership was very what very much one of authenticity and and genuineness. And so we were encouraged to be honest about where we were, 
uh, and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work in our lives in community with others to process and move forward. Uh, it, it was not the idea that you have to have it all together to come to Christ or to come to church. Uh, you, what you had to do was be honest and then allow the Spirit of God to draw you and to begin to work those things into your life. And that's really what John modeled in his ministry was, was an authenticity and a reality about who he was. You know, a lot of, you know, some of the chapters in my book are things John said, like, you know, I'm just a fat man on the way to heaven. And that was his <laughs> way of saying, I'm not God, I'm not God's man of the hour. I'm, I'm not the, the next great thing to come down the block. I'm another person that God's using to, you know, move his kingdom forward in, in our world today. You know, uh, thinking about leadership, thinking about leaders, in our society or in our culture today, we see them as being a certain way. Like if you're if you are more quiet or if you're more subdued, then uh, that maybe that person is not leadership uh, quality. What are the things that that you think make up um, maybe from scripture, from what you've seen, good leadership? You know, the, the, thank you. That's a great question. I, I I think one is what we've been talking about, authenticity. But another is perseverance, the ability to, to really stick with it. You know, it, mm. it's, uh, there's so many things that will distract us and pull us away. But to me, a good leader is somebody that says, you know, I know what God's called me to do, and that's what I'm going to do. And even when things get hard, I, I, I don't, you know, turn my back and, and, and get out of the game. But I stay focused on what God's called me to do. What I do in my own life and what I encourage people that uh, I have the opportunity to mentor to do is every year review their calling. Go back and say, what did God call mm. you to do, and are you still pursuing that? Mm. And I think that's a good way for us to, to really persevere and stick with it in the long haul, because I believe we're called uh, into this, whether you're professional or not, for your life. It's, it's a lifetime calling. It's not, it's not a short-term thing. Yeah. You know, I wish that there were um, things that would happen in the history of the church that we would understand these things to be biblical and not just sort of like a fad or something that cycles through and then we move on. One of those things is the discipleship that we're talking about, Glenn, and what I would imagine that you experienced um, in your history with Vineyard, something that Will and I experienced Mm -hmm. being discipled and being trained Let's talk a little bit about how that has changed in the church, and maybe we need to return to, as you describe in the book, this rabbinic model of discipleship. Why is that important? Uh, you know, I, I think that what, what what I see happening a lot today is churches are focused on uh, sometimes just on on gathering a crowd mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. on sort of what what happens in the, in the in the public meeting, and and the public meeting is important. Corporate worship is important, and what mm-hmm. we do when we come together is important. But it's not the whole picture. Mm. And one of the things that we learned from John and that was so vital to our growth was that there would be an opportunity for kind of one-on-one ministry, that rabbinic model where John would invite us into ministry. Mm-hmm. We would go along with him, kind of watch what he did, watch how he prayed, watch how he interacted with people. And then he would invite us in and say, okay, now you try it. And then he would give us feedback. <laughs> and, then he would, and then he would release us to do it. So it was yeah. sort of a... A step-by-step personal discipleship. And, and really, that's how John trained me in ministry and trained, you know, dozens and dozens and really hundreds of other pastors and church planners across the venue movement, you know, and that, that those people continue to do that with people that they work with now. Right. 
And you know what? I mean, that is the Jesus model. Yeah. I mean, that that is the way of the master. That is the way we have been trained to make disciples. That's the way that That's Will right. and I were discipled yep. and trained. And Same it's way. the way that we also disciple and train. And it is the best way. Let's grab the break. Never trust a leader without a limp. We're talking to Glenn Schroeder, Aaron the Addisons, American Family Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. Boy, am I enjoying this interview. Well, the great, I know yes. you are too. It's mm-hmm. something that's so squarely in our wheelhouse. I mean, discipleship and training and, yeah. and caring about the passing on of the gospel is so critical. It's so important, especially in the time that we're in now yeah. when people seem yeah. to be jumping ship. It's no. just about, like, you know, as our brother was saying, it's just about numbers and just <laughs> having these huge gatherings, but you don't have the depth of discipleship and true growth that's in the right. Lord that was once common in the church, it seems that that needs to be restored. So we're going to get into uh, talking a little bit more about that. Before we do, though, I want to give away a copy of this book, but here is what I want to do. I really think that this book would be, it would be a blessing to anyone, but I would like to give it away to a pastor or a ministry leader, if that is okay. So the 10th caller who is a pastor or a ministry leader at 888 589-8840, caller number 10, pastor or ministry leader, um, 888-589-8840. You will get a copy of Never Trust a Leader Without a Limp, written by Glenn Schroeder. And Pastor Glenn is our guest today. We are talking about what he learned from the wit and wisdom of John Wimber, founder of the Vineyard Church Movement. And we're just going to get right back into our discussion. Sherry B is over in Studio CC, and she will take caller number 10, pastor ministry leader, 888-589-8840. Pastor Glenn, you mentioned that there are some core values that you observed in John Wimber and the time that you spent learning from him and working with him. Can we talk about some of those core values and why those core values are still instructive for the church today? Absolutely. So there were, there were a number of different things that, uh, you know, John would emphasize to us. Uh, one, one of those is that uh, everybody gets to play. That uh, <laughs> It doesn't matter what your background is, your history, where you come from that you, you really do have an opportunity to make a vital contribution to the kingdom of God and to the church today. Th- that's something that has really impacted uh, my ministry. You know, we have a—my church today is predominantly young people. My mm-hmm. associate pastor is 26, and uh, there's only one person on my worship team over 30. And one of the reasons I think that our church is attractive to young people is because— we don't have the expectation that they'll come and sit and pay attention and behave themselves. Uh, <laughs> we, we tell them that you can make a vital contribution, mm. that there's mm, something so that, that God has done in your life that you have to offer. And, and that's one of those things that was sort of a value to John that uh, he really was able to transfer to, to other people that he mentored and discipled and that we're able to pass along as well. 
He also understood um, the nature of influence. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, John was a master because uh, you could meet with him for a half an hour or 45 minutes, and, you know, he could he would use that time to, to really instruct and, and cast vision. But sometimes you didn't have that opportunity. Sometimes you had a conversation with him for two or three minutes when you were walking out of the sanctuary at the end of a service. And, and he would take that opportunity to make the most of, of that two or three minutes and really just speak into somebody's life. And it was just really a, a unique ability that John had uh, to, to know that every opportunity he had with someone uh, was an opportunity to really pass on those values. And, and that's something that I think we miss today sometimes. If I'm, you know, maybe at lunch with somebody or maybe just going into the bank and I have a minute with the, the teller there, do I have an opportunity to speak life and truth and really encourage that person? Uh, or do I just cash a check and move on, you know? So uh, mm. I, I really value that that idea that uh, every every person I encounter every day is somebody that I have the ability to effectively release a little bit of kingdom presence and, and uh, kingdom love to. Hmm. This might be a, a little different take, but I'm talking about leadership and leaders. Is it fair, in your opinion, for uh, the people of God, for Christians to hold up, you know, like uh, pastors and, and leadership in that capacity to like leaders that we have in politics uh, in that mm. capacity? Like, is that a fair thing for Christians to, to do? You, you know what I what, what I would like to see is maybe some of those in politics hold up Christian leaders. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that there is an integrity that, that we have, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. to, 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 really, uh, to really have uh, some honesty in who we are mm. uh, and integrity in, in, in doing what we say we're going to do. Mm. And yeah. I think that's so important for Christian leaders. And, you know, we all, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on, are, uh, or, or any of that, we know that in politics that doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the standard for Christian leaders that we hold up should be uh, the standard we see in Scripture, in the life of Amen. Jesus, in the life of Paul, right. and in the life of uh, of the, the you know what they wrote about Christian leaders, what Paul wrote to Timothy. Those yes. things are so important. Mm-hmm. That those those are the issues I think we need to hold up for Christian leaders. Mm. Oh, that's very good. I mean, I you know I think <laughs> it's amazing. I I look. We'll give you credit the first time we use that again, but I think that flip that you just presented is one of those that would be so jolting because there is this tension that exists when you ask this question. Mm -hmm. And I think to be able to turn it around and say, well, politicians should be looking at Christian leaders and holding them up to a higher standard, I think is so important. And that's so critical to the conversation that um, (laughs) this won't be the last time that our listeners will hear it. That's great. I love it. Um, you You only have to give me credit once. Next time you use that, you say Glenn Schroeder said that, and then the second time you say somebody said, and then the third time. Yeah. You say, <laughs> How's that? That's it. We're we're such evangelicals. I mean, that's just what we do to each other. You there know, you that's go. just what yeah. we do. That's, that's fine. It's, it's good. <laughs> I want to I want to go back to a point that I think you made that was critical because we we're talking about the the younger generation um, in the first segment. We were talking about Generation Z and you said, you know, there is not this ex- expectation, at least at, at, at your fellowship, that they're going to just sit and behave. Right. And just kind of do what you know, I don't know what you think bench warmers are supposed to do. But there is this expectation that um, everybody plays. Right. Everyone gets to play. 
And so I'm thinking back to um, the the years where the bulk of our ministry training came and our campus pastor would say that he who gets the vision gets the task. So we'd be in these meetings and there would be someone who would say, you know what I think we need to do? And he'd say, <laughs> go forth and do it. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. So God has given you that vision. So now let's go and do it. Yeah. And this is incredible when you think about a person having ownership and being invested in the body of Christ, not just that's the pastor's job or that's the worship leader's job, but that we all, as you say, or as John said, everyone gets to play. How do you think that can best be expressed in our fellowships? How can that be replicated across the country and even around the world? You know, I I think that it's uh, it's our responsibility as leaders to really prayerfully look at the, the gifts and abilities that different people have and see, is even if it's not something you're doing currently, is that something that we could incorporate into our ministry, into the kingdom of God? For, for example, there's a young lady in our church who paints, and we've never had anybody paint during worship before, but I knew she had this gift, and so we invited her, would you, would you want to do a painting some morning during our worship time? And she was able to use the gifts and talents she has uh, to express, you know, worship in a different way than most of us are familiar with. And it was really a blessing. Our church loved it. And I I really think as Christian leaders, we have to look and see, what does this person have to offer? What are their gifts? What talents do they have? What abilities do they have that they can contribute that might be uh, fruitful in the kingdom of God? Mm, That's so good. You know, and just if we could... You know, taking that example that you just used and maybe juxtaposing that to an example where a person says, well, you know what, I'm leaving this church or I'm done here because they don't have this ministry or they don't have this outreach or they don't have this going on. And it's like the thought I would think would be, well, what can you do? Maybe you're there at that church to bring that ministry. Maybe that is what God has given you a burden for. And maybe that's what you are to be doing. What are your thoughts on that, Glenn? I agree. You know, in the Vineyard Movement, both at my church and, and years ago when I was at Anaheim, one of the biggest ministries that we do is is our food pantry and our ministries with Corner Community. And that really started because a young man went to John years ago, and he said, Hey, John, you know, in the neighborhood where I live, there's these people that are hungry, and, and, and you know, what can we do? And John kind of put it back on him. He said, Well, what, what can you do? Mm. And and he said, well, I don't know. Maybe I could make some sandwiches. And John said, well, that's a good idea. And he started with he and his wife, made sandwiches and took them out to these people. And then that grew and that grew until at one point in, in the during the 1980s, the Anaheim Vineyard was feeding more people than the County of Orange, uh, wow. you know, on a, on a weekly basis. And I know that our church today, we're, we're a small fellowship, but our food pantry feeds uh, for a week's worth of groceries to 30 to 40 families every week. And that just comes out of people saying, what can be done? And then us saying back to them as leaders, what can you do to help? We're completely volunteer run. All all of our pantry workers are volunteers. They come in and offer their time uh, because it's what they want to do and what they can give. Mm. That's beautiful. That's That's beautiful. I mean, before we had church committees, we had faithful Christians. I mean, if you just look at the body body of Christ um, growing and advancing and meeting the felt needs of people around them happened before there were committees and meetings and votes. And people just got out and did what was right to do according to this faith that they had received. And I think that's beautiful. And that needs to continue in the body of Christ. Before we run out of too much time, um, Pastor Glenn Schroeder, I want to 
to ask you this question. We know, we look at the studies, I think that maybe everyone's reading Barna and, you know, we look at it, we're scratching our head and we're, we're saying, how is it that Christians are no longer sharing their faith? What is it about the gospel that we're maybe only partially convinced of its relevance or its importance? And we see a decline in the church. Um, how do you observe what is going on in light of how you've been trained and discipled in the ministry that um, you've received? What does the church need to be doing? You know, uh, I, I think to me that one of the most important things is that I, I think the church needs to, to serve our communities. We look for ways all the time to to touch the needs that people have in our communities. Uh, next month, we will be part of a citywide effort. We'll do a compassion clinic. It will be a one-day free medical dental clinic that will be run by five churches in our community working together. Wow. So there's a there's a dynamic of unity that happens. We're not divided. It's not my church against your church. It's our church mm-hmm. working together. And the thing that we're doing, really, rather than, you know, standing on a street corner, holding up a sign that says turn or burn, or telling people what's wrong with their lives, mm-hmm. is saying, you know, as Christians, we want to serve you. We want to support you. We want to, we want to help uh, meet the needs that you have in your life. I just think there's so much in that on both ends of the spectrum. One, I think it, it's beneficial for the Church to, to serve and to, and to be active in their faith. And two, I think if we serve the community, uh, we, we let them see a part of Jesus that maybe they haven't seen before. Amen. No, and this is intrinsic to our faith. Like, you know, just to say it simply, what you are talking about is what would have been very commonplace. You know, I'm thinking about Christians under imperial persecution, and I'm thinking about believers going out and rescuing babies who were exposed. I'm thinking about the early church who said, no, it doesn't matter if you're slave or free outside, but when we come into these walls together, we have a different economy. We have a different way that we operate. And if we could take those values that are inherent to the church, this is what has been handed down to us, and kind of bring that back. If if we could make genuine faith great again, I don't know. I mean, if we could do that, <laughs> then I, I think we might serve as a witness to a world that is perishing. And isn't that what we're supposed to be? I agree so much. I really think that the more that we can do that, the more that we can love our neighbors, love our community, care for those in need, the more that we can really let the light of Christ be seen by people rather than being judgmental or critical or telling people what's wrong with them. You know, just love them. And you know what happens, I see, is that when people experience that love, the Holy Spirit has a way of helping them redirect their lives and the things that were wrong. God takes care of those. We don't have to take care of those. What we have to do is let them know that he loves them to begin with. Mm -hmm. So we've got about a minute left and I've got one question um, and then just some information. So I want to leave some time for that. But when you look at probably what is the greatest deposit that John Wimber made in the Vineyard Movement, sort of like what makes up the, the greatest, I don't know, I guess, replicated DNA. What is it that you would say that is? Yeah, you know, I think that has to be uh, along the lines of everybody gets to play. Vineyard is a church planting movement, and he always made it clear that it's really the call of God and the heart for God that qualifies you to be a church planter, not going through four years of seminary. Uh, mm, b- biblical biblical education is super important, yeah. but th- there's more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> if you have if you have the biblical education but you don't have that call, uh, you're going to be a really smart guy that doesn't really 
become very successful in, in pastoring or church planting. But if you're a person that has that call, you can get that education along the way. Mm, and you'll, so you'll, ha- you'll, you'll, have a, you'll have theology and understanding, but you'll also have what you need in the, in, in the Spirit of God, in the presence of God, to be effective in your ministry. The book, Never Trust a Leader Without a Limp. Is there a website? Really quickly, get about 20 seconds. Uh, yeah, you can look at mychurchcascadevineyard.org or at vineyardresources.org. All right. Thank you so much, Pastor Glenn Schroeder, everybody. We're out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.